Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Documentality, part of the Friends in Your Head network at friendsinyourhead.com. Each episode, we examine two or more documentaries united by a common theme. This week's theme, horror. But not like not like movie horror, like real horror. We are going to be looking at technically four documentaries that all talk about the same goddamn thing, and that is the West Memphis Three. The movies are Paradise Lost 1, 2, and 3, and the most recent one, West of Memphis. Joining me today are T. Chrissy. Hello. Chloe Zimmerman. Howdy. And Paul Santagata. Hi. We got some we got some documentality OGs here. Uh so yeah, I I had seen all these kind of as they came out. I know T saw West of Memphis kind of right when it came out, but I forced these poor souls in the manner in the, in the span of f- two days to watch all three Paradise Lost movies, and and boy are they happy with me. We are so so sad about everything. <laughs> it's just it's super dark, and this is going to be kind of I don't I don't want to I don't want to keep this kind of on the analysis side and not have it delve too deep into Bummerville, but obviously we're going to be talking about like murders of kids and shit, and it's just it's going to be it's going to be gnarly. Luckily, so- none of you can be at work and then suddenly have. A penis stabbing come bloody on. child's crotch just kind of pop up yeah. on the screen oh no i can totally yeah. be at work and have that happen <laughs> yeah that's yeah I, I don't i don't recommend watching this around your why nephew, how do you pick like jobs? i originally did so yeah so uh really quickly let's just go ahead and let's start by just kind of when was the what was the first the t was the first film you had seen so i didn't even know about paradise lost as a thing and i lived in arkansas and memphis so I, I should have known, but I didn't know anything about the Paradise Lost movies. And I saw a trailer for West of Memphis where it's like, oh, look, they're making a documentary about a murder that happened. What a fresh idea. I will go watch this documentary. It has a cool pedigree. <laughs> and I went and saw it in theaters. And that then, no one's ever heard of, of course, right? Right. And then I later found out it's like, yeah, there's six hours of that shit. Dude. They've been making that documentary for 20 years. It's like, oh. And then I never watched it until like the last couple of days. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, aside from being a really weird, prolonged project in the first place, where it's like, yeah, they spent so much time on this that the actual arc of the project becomes a part of the project and right. all that stuff. It's also just a really interesting ex- exercise in watching people get better at their craft. Like the actual, just technically the documentaries grow in a really interesting way over the course of it. They eventually decide that we're going to lay off the really awful dogma font. And like that kind of growth <laughs> is the sort of I, shit I that call, I love to see. I call it the Diablo font because yeah. if you ever play Blizzard's Diablo oh, yeah. games, it's, it's the, the, the crosses and the O's, sort of that. But then not only that, not only do you have the opportunity to watch these filmmakers adjust their approach and, and, and grow as editors and filmmakers over the course of their own projects, so you can actually watch this project made by the same filmmakers in different ways as they get better at their craft, you also get to watch an entirely different group tackle the exact same material. It's a weird thing that happened with these four movies. And I'm surprised that, I mean, we were talking about this a second ago, but I'm surprised that West of Memphis got made with so much Paradise Lost already in existence to the point where it's like, it seems... I wouldn't be brave enough to be like, nah, you know what? I know they've made three of them and they're almost household names as far as documentaries go, but I, I think I'm going to make a documentary about this. <laughs> if you read the um, the Ebert review of West of Memphis, he makes the really good point that um, he just asks like straight up, do we need a fourth of these movies? And his conclusion eventually is yes. Um, and they all complement each other because while the first three were made in the midst of all of the happenings, the fourth one has hindsight. Exactly. And the benefit yeah. of it, both from a technical standpoint and also um, just a narrative standpoint. And what's interesting is that the the three films are able to cover things that West of Memphis doesn't, obviously, sometimes to its benefit, sometimes to its detriment. And West of Memphis has a, a level of access that Berlinger and Sanofsky didn't necessarily have. And we'll get into that later. Chloe, what was your... 
what was your sort of introduction to the case and to the films and how did um, you become aware of this? Yeah, my I think I saw West of Memphis. I don't think I saw any of the Paradise Lost documentaries up until I just mainlined all four of them. <laughs> um, so, so you're in a great headspace right I'm now. I'm so happy. Paul, what was your sort of familiarity with A, the case and B, all of these films, which I know you're also just kind of coming off of seeing all of them. Uh, yeah, I hadn't seen any of the films until... Um, starting about six o'clock this morning but um damn you did all four today yeah oh. whoa wow I, had you I, ever heard i, I didn't I, finish the last 15 minutes of the last one because i had to get here of uh, paradise lost three yeah had you ever heard of paradise lost because i feel like i've been hearing the words paradise lost for a long time yeah um i would find myself at lots of uh local punk shows in the early 2000s <laughs> and when you're at local punk shows in the early 2000s there's lots of people with card tables and all of those people <laughs> with card tables have lots yes! of pamphlets about all sorts of things like where your eggs come from and where your beef comes from. I thought and they were called zines. Not just zines, no. but all, like there's zines and pamphlets and there. Yeah. And then there is like, there would always be the table of the um, West Memphis three. Yep. Um, where somebody and, we'll, would, and we'll get to that connection in a bit. Yeah. Somebody would be standing there telling you about how these kids that are just like you are right in turn on death row or serving life sentences in prison. Right. Cause for have- the, for the egregious crime of just being like you. And I always found that kind of terrifying and would disassociate from it um, more readily than I would disassociate from pictures of like a cow torn in half or something. Um, But I had not seen any of the films and I only vaguely knew of that in my periphery because I was young enough at the time to just kind of have the I can't change anything kind of attitude that was not shared by everybody else in that scene. Um, So I would just kind of like dance (laughs) around. Characteristically, in fact. Dance around and then go home and then wake up and go back to high school. Um... (laughs) But that was my exposure to it. Well, the, these guys were, uh, the you know, the Paradise Lost, the, the timeline of the films is as such. The first Paradise Lost one came out in 1996, uh, second one 2002, and then the most recent one 2012, 13? 11. 2000, okay, fine. 2011. Um, Eddie hasn't slept in about, how, however old his, his new kid is, Yeah, that long? Going yeah. three weeks, four weeks? Three weeks old as of, yeah. you know, four weeks, it'll be four weeks on Saturday. So, Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Thank you. All right, Eddie Cody is a father. Yay. Happy baby. Two times. He's very, also the first friend in your head baby. He's our production baby. He's, he's our production baby. He's the first yeah. documentality baby. Yeah, he's the first because yeah. doc- I Yes, because Gray was born before we were, when we were still redacted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, hmm. so yeah, so t- 96 was the first one. That was when I first saw it because all three of the Paradise Lost movies were HBO productions or co-productions, I should say. Uh, and then it created this movement that sort of kept the case alive. It, it kept these kids from going to jail. It created enough legal support to keep the case ongoing to the point which then motivated another film being made. So you have this weird Ouroboros of, of the, the crime spawning this documentary, right. which therefore extends the shelf life of the case, which therefore warrants another documentary, which it, it just, this, it just turns into this hydra of events, uh, which leads to paradise lost Two, revelations and then paradise lost three, which I don't know if it purgatory purgatory. Yeah. And then, um, the interesting thing that happened and to answer the question of why, yeah, man, why'd you make the, f- why did you make West of Memphis? How do you come at an existing trilogy of documentaries? that has been happening for 20 years to like widespread mention and be like, no, I'm going to get on that too, though. I think I think you know, well, I don't if, think I'm too late. If you're a famous director, Peter Jackson, and you've been secretly bankrolling the defense of the West Memphis Three, and you feel like there's things that could be covered as well, that's why. <laughs> so, which brings think, yeah. yeah, which no, brings it's, us, a, it's yeah. a good. He knows the baggins. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, none of the sequences in any of the Paradise Lost films had like a river barrel fight. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> to their detriment, I think. To, yeah, to their gotta, detriment, gotta I think. Get that in there. So yeah, that is the other weird twist in this is that a number of people came forward to lend support, uh, which brings us to the the other film, West of Memphis, directed by Amy Berg. Amy Berg, most famous. She was a new. Yeah, I don't know how Amy Berg factors what's, into what's the her relationship to Wingnut. Yeah, no relationship to Wignet. She was work for hire. Okay, so she was in, she was she had done like a lot of uh, news pieces for like uh, I think CBS and stuff like that. And then her her big documentary film was Deliver Us from Evil. Which, by the way, if you really want to be scared and disturbed by a documentary, Run Don't Walk, Deliver Us from Evil, two thousand six. I believe it's on Netflix. It's definitely on iTunes. Uh, but that's about uh, a, a specific case of uh, molestation in the Catholic Church, specifically Northern Ireland. So Amy um, Berg was like, you know what though, I still kind of like humanity. That's a, well, that's, I think, it, no, I think she was a wise choice for this because she's looked pure fucking evil in the face yeah. and came out okay by all, by all indications. And, and not only that, but it's a, Delivers from Evil is a, is a expertly directed documentary and it really threads that needle perfectly. She was, an, she was a natural choice for this. So we end up with these four films, three of them sort of working at once and then West MF is being sort of the singular piece. What was your sort of, React like if you had not to compare like which one is better, but right. strengths and weaknesses of, of both. What well, the thing that was interesting because I saw West of Memphis in the first place, and I, I was like, "Yep, that was a documentary, and it was fine." Like it didn't announce its presence as being particularly showy or particularly kind of anything. It was like that's a true crime documentary. That's how you do, and it was great, well assembled. And yep, I agree with the premise of this movie, and that those guys shouldn't have been in jail. And hooray, it happened. I did it all in two hours. It's great. When you go back and watch Paradise Lost after starting from nowhere on west of memphis i found paradise lost to be really fascinating because instead of i i I had not considered the benefit i had been given to start with the hindsight version and then go back in time like it's a weird flashback in true detective and now i'm just back in it and watching the weird like flights of fancy where like for an entire movie you guys in paradise lost 2 it's like we get really really into this one weird theory that's like ah I don't think so, though. Never mind. Like, but that's not the that's not the sort of thing you would do in retrospect. You wouldn't accidentally throw this huge yarn around one particular suspect later to find out that yeah, I don't think it was him, though. That's the only that's only the kind of thing that can happen when you're in the moment and everything is so tense and so weird and you're looking at like day to day documents of what it was like to be alive dealing with revelations as they came out and how fast that people can like tell themselves and tell each other stories about things where it's like there's an actual answer to this, you guys. Benefiting from the patience that comes from waiting 20 years. First, set up what I think is a different experience of watching the Paradise Lost movies, which is that it didn't have the novel feel. And I don't mean novels in like surprising. I mean like the book. It didn't have that weird like we're watching something develop in a weird direction because there was always a weird direction it was going because I kind of knew. Right. And now I'm just like spending entire movies going, it's crazy how much people will convince themselves of shit. First, the entire town and the whole, you know, crucible of that. Then... With like Mark Byers and his whole weird, like, let, make no mistake, it's a weird guy. But like, <laughs> just the people continue. It's a, this is an entire franchise of real life history that is largely thematically related to people telling themselves stories yeah. about other people. Yeah. I to be honest with you, I had weird moments of like self doubt as a viewer and an audience member where I'm like. I don't feel comfortable accepting the filmmaker's version of this either for the same reason where it's like, well, I've just watched five people get wrongly convicted in the last minute if, in the public eye, if not in actual courts of law. Yeah. I'm not even comfortable with the filmmaker telling me who's like who had the strongest case. Like, yeah, shit. The second I don't fil- know anything. Yeah. This is weird. The second film is it's completely genuine and in, a lot, in many ways earned, but it's also very problematic in, in how how it really just there's a lot of you can tell that. 
You, you remember how I was saying like the imposter um, was doing some irresponsible things? Yeah, yeah. Did you feel that way about Paradise Lost 2? I did feel that way about Paradise Lost. I did oh, hell yeah. Well, but, here, I mean, here's the thing. Just to bring you up to speed in case you haven't seen it, which you should, but whatever. There's one, one of the dads. He's a stepdad of the murdered kids who is just probably incidentally the weirdest, most like self-narrating guy. Yeah. Where there's a weird affect to him where he, he just kind of freaks out a little bit. There's an element the of second movie too, was, But he also yeah. has a lot of afflictions. Like yeah. He's, yeah, he's no, me- he's obviously crazy. He has mentally hand- he has mental yeah. issues and there's some crime in his past and you know, that's he's an easy target. For reasons that aren't his yeah. fault, he's also he looks exactly like your picture of the scary redneck murderer anyway, because he's seven feet tall and he's got seven foot tall guy face and he's just a big scary southern dude. And the entire second movie, or at least a large part of the second movie in Paradise Lost, is like, holy shit, I think that guy did it. Yeah, you go down this the, rabbit hole. It's the case, uh, the, the second film becomes the case against him. Yeah, which, which, and really, and even watching it the very first time, I and felt... And the third one becomes the case against another guy. Yeah, well, I, th- watching it the first time, I felt, I, I, I chalk it up to the fact that if I can feel frustrated to halfway into the second film that, god damn, why can't you just fucking find somebody? Like, if I can get, reach that level of frustration... I can only imagine what Joe Berlinger or Bruce Anosky would feel after 10 months in 96 of shooting for the first one and then another 10 months in 2002 and then almost weekly contact with these kids that you've grown attached to and you know are going to die. I put myself in those guys' shoes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'd be fucking wanting to like come to some... Just, no, just but they fucking, spend the entire second movie... Not excusing doing, it? No, doing exactly what they spent the entire first movie... Demonizing the Demonizing Raging no, against. Totally. Yeah. And I think they address that in the third movie because in Purgatory, they there's a really touching thing where basically over time, Mark Byers, who had blamed... Damien just villainized him and and Damien for his part villainized Mark he's like yeah it's probably him the scary, the scary guy his who was, grave in effigy yeah, at the site of gra- his yeah, stepson's totally. yeah the same scary totally. dude murder yeah and so and there's this moment where just after over a decade they just reach this level of exhaustion and they they are able to see each other for who they are and they write these letters like I was too quick to demonize you and yeah I was too quick to demonize you and I know like, what that's like. I shouldn't have done that to you. And I think in that moment, that's kind of a um, but yeah, but a if, if, if from Mark, the directors, if, you know, if I, that's Byer, how I viewed it. If Byer was somebody who has the like the presence of mind to take rational evidence and then completely change his mind from like just a complete binary flip from zero to one then that kind of says to me that they were extremely dishonest with their presentation of him in the second film. I don't, but it's, see, we view it as binary zero to one because we're watching two films back to back and you literally are watching two films back to back. This is over the, I mean, in between each film. No, it doesn't matter if you're watching them. It doesn't seven, eight it, years. That doesn't matter. Know? It's, it's what they're showing you on screen. I've never met Mark Byer. I sure. don't know anything about him personally. I, I think, I mean, to look, me, he is a character in a set of films that I've watched today. Fair enough. But I, I think, and that's, and that's certainly one way to view it. I just, I think that especially when you're only filming for a certain amount of time and you're covering so literally years and years and years, and there's not a lot of docs that do this. There's hoop dreams. There's the up series. That's it. And so in, in order to convey information for which you have not filmed it's such a difficult you know needle to thread i think they make as honest an effort as they can in the third film of saying yeah we kind of fucked up yeah and we shouldn't have done that and but that's where we were at the time that but it's also a true reflection of everybody's frustration in, in circa 2002 yeah which goes back to you what know? um Teague was saying about how um, i felt very much the same way because i also watched west of memphis first and then went 
and watch the right. Paradise Lost trilogy. And if the Paradise Lost trilogy was a TV show that I was shotgunning in half hour or 40 minute episodes, I'm sure it would feel very much like watching Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost 2, and Paradise Lost 3, especially because the first third of every movie does the reality TV thing of recapping right. everything. Previously on. <laughs> well, no, that's... um. If we're just going to keep going on the, just my experience oh, yeah, I'm watching sorry, ahead, the third, the, it's funny to watch the same documentarians make the same movie three times, essentially, essentially, because by the third movie, they got the entire thing down to maybe like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Something a bit more 10. streamlined. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, you how, how much is there about this story that is interesting? Like the, the interesting thing is America can be terrible because of X, Y, and Z. Like it's a, it's not a, that, that was a, the, the biggest problem that I had with the entire series was that nothing about it is that interesting. I don't want that to have to be my problem with these movies because that's not, it's, it's more of a problem with like kind of the culture that I kind of exist in and a part <laughs> of it that I very much like to disassociate from, which is why I've only been in the South for like four days of my entire life, which is why I, I was hoping that you would like, cause uh, at some point in this, I was, uh, I think talking specifically about the paradise lost films as a whole. I feel like with your experience, having lived in Arkansas and Memphis and Memphis, I'll tell you this as someone who spent a lot of time in the South and around Memphis and in Arkansas and around people like this and, and lived among them. And bear in mind, there's not a lot of love lost because you'll, you'll notice that I did move to Los Angeles after that. Um, there, there is a, a, a facet of this that I can understand and I see where they're coming from. And, I see that reflex as something familiar as opposed to like horrifying. It is horrifying, but it's, it's like horrifying in the way that someone who their friend was in the Salem witch trials would be like, yeah, I could have seen this coming. They shouldn't have dressed like that. Like you were saying, you, you can see it's a, how it's, it an, happens, it's, it's not a reaction that, that surprises me. But how does that color your understanding of the characters? If you were like me, who grew up in the Northeast kind of with zero. Yeah. Uh, I'm only in that I'm not surprised. My my thing the the harshness of the harshness of the South in general. I will say I will say this right in the one line. If you listen, if you if you read, uh, you know the Civil War when all the states seceded, uh, each state had to write its own separate Declaration of Independence, and Mississippi's was written. And the phrasing used specifically in Mississippi, the way they justify slavery in general is because the harsh conditions of farming was not meant for a normal man to survive. <laughs> Therefore we need slaves, which God has granted us in order to prosper. And that kind of mythology of none of this shit makes sense. Life sucks. We need to create an architecture and an infrastructure that somehow makes sense out of all of this. I think that is a legacy that holds true to this day. And I think when you are confronted with the first, I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, the first shot of any of these films, the first shot of Paradise Lost is what? Police video of them dredging the goddamn kids' bodies out of the ocean, naked, bound, rigor mortis, and cut up. That's horrific. That's, that'll, if you either, you either turn to Christ or you put a fucking bullet in your mouth. Like, that's horrific if you stare that in the face. The idea of a culture of rationalization is interesting. I I I don't blame people going, 
what the fuck? Satan, yes, yeah, Satan, fine, Satanist. That makes sense. That's the only thing that comes close to making sense it has to out be, of this. It has to be something far removed yeah. from me. Yeah, it has to be supernatural almost. Yeah. It has to be something that I don't encounter every single day because if I have to encounter this every single day, what the fuck if is the point? If this could be like somebody's dad, then I can't. Yeah, because the narrative that eventually comes out crafted in later films is... He was pissed at him. He was whipping him. He probably hit him too, too hard and his friends saw And it. now it's like, fuck. That's in many ways more frightening than... Because the thing is, if there's a Satanist who infuses power of the devil, well, you know what? I can beat that. Well, you, you can but, watch out for that. You can you, yeah. can you can see that teenager in the black duster coming. That's defeatable. But if the it's just a... kid yeah. in the top hat, I got my eye on him. Right. But that, that kid's defeatable. But if it's just a dad who's pissed off his kid, what if that could be me? That's too scary. Yeah. And I think in the South, a lot of justification. And if you're a Southern listener, please, we're not besmirching you or anything like that. But just historically, there's a pattern there. And I think and I, I don't I don't claim to know anything, but just that's the thing that I've seen. So the American South uh, in my like weird colloquial index card understanding of it is that it. The gentry that kind of founded the American South were the third and fourth sons of like north english and scottish my ancestors one families they had no land promised to them right but they could work it out such that like i can make myself a nice little uh plantation and build my house and have this entire um this english caste structure positioned upon like but also slavery so it's got this weird economic well, stuff it, going yeah, on yeah i mean that's that i mean that's we could do a whole separate podcast about that i mean but it's not like but, people, I, but I don't think yeah. it's i i'm trying to draw the line from the foundation of the American South directly to hating kids that listen to Metallica. I mean, eh. and it's a big well, yeah, no, it's a, ask. A, it's a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> but not too far because Damien Eccles actually puts a pin on it in the third movie. Uh, in the third Paradise Lost movie, he actually straight up says, you know, I was a kid who was, you know, that that town would have spit me up and just killed me had it not been yeah, for no, he others. Says, I, they would have just killed me and swept under the rug, rug and, and had it yeah that that would have been it if, that's if hbo hadn't else. showed that's up the, that's the yeah. tradition of that part of the country if yeah. you yeah. want to get specifically oh absolutely into, that's the tradition of most parts of the country i want to get back i want to get back on the uh, the filmmaking aspect of this because i think they're from a narrative standpoint west of memphis does a really cool thing as a framing device using the conversation the phone conversations between uh between uh, damien eccles and his wife who he met you know she came quit her job to basically investigate and support the case and be one of his biggest advocates their love story is kind of front and center in yeah West which memphis. It wasn't in any of them. barely touched on like but i, so and I guess west of memphis benefits from that i think it just it, using that as a framing device and just sort of like i mean it's it's an old trope just separating the loves and then because it ultimately ends with them being reunited Yeah, because you get a love story in yeah and, and just and i just i feel like that kind of helped break up sort of the information because it was it just me or did paradise lost feel a bit too clinical and forensic at times opposite Opposite. Opposite. Really? Paradise Lost 1 is not edited like a documentary at all. In what way? It is edited exactly like a feature. In Paradise Lost 1, the sort of scenes that you're seeing aren't talking head, talking head, talking head, talking head, necessarily, because that's what they were doing at the time. They're, they didn't have time for talking head shit. They're literally filming court scenes and right. like the lawyers trying to figure out what they're going to do next in chambers and shit like that. But because we're not doing a talking head documentary, we're just like literally fly on the wall with an amazing amount of access the scenes that happen in that movie aren't analysis. They're not meta conversations about the events. You're literally watching the scenes of the events play out, mm -hmm. cut to them, like moving on from what just happened in the last scene. And it's, it's structured in a way where 
as opposed to being a thing where the, the, the focus and the thrust is about telling the story of what happened to, with Jack Valenti and the MPAA, it's literally you're in the story as it's unfolding and it's edited in a way that doesn't like the opposite of a documentary construction. It's it's storytelling construction. Well, I, I mean, it, again, under the documentary banner, like it's it's a verite film. So in that sense, it's it's verite. Yeah. So therefore, verite inherently is if you're leaning more on verite, it's inherently structured more like a, a traditional drama. The la- I guess the last forty minutes of the first film is straight up C-SPAN. Like it's it's exhausting. It's not the, the, the like the courtroom stuff. When you get yeah. deep dive into the courtroom stuff, yeah, it's just it's just courtroom. Right, but that's basically what I'm saying. As opposed to say. A thing that could be very similar, but isn't, is Dear Zachary. It's a movie that was being shot and filmed while the things that happened in that movie happened. While some of the things that were happening. All right. Happened. But it's it's also, it's got all those scenes where it's like, oh my God, this moment is happening and like story is developing. Even as we've been shooting the documentary, this has right. been a more and more complex thing. But the movie isn't just that. There's an awful lot of the, the story is moved by articulations of opinions expressed in talking head interviews, as opposed to spending so much time watching courtroom shit. Dear Zachary would not stop and, and watch a courtroom drama for 30 minutes. Dear Zachary would do an inverted lightning thunderclap thingy and it would break your heart again just for fun because, you know, it's been five minutes. This, but Paradise Lost <laughs> is more like this this unfolding Sorkin thing that is fascinatingly real and dark. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a movie that's basically thrust by how, what am I, what am I trying to say? The, the momentum of the movie is theme. Um, hmm. you talking my. Maybe- I feel like my the the influence that Paradise Lost Two specific. If I want to get like super specific about it, I'm Brothers Keeper. I know, you can draw I'm sorry, a line I know you were just talking about Paradise Lost One and how like yeah, theme okay, and the momentum and the whatever. But Paradise Lost Two is a different a different thing. Okay, chill, chilling with Anwar and chilling with Mark Byers. Mark Byers is not the same thing. I agree. So like I've I've spent a couple movies. I've I've watched. I've watched Anwar do his thing a few times. Right. Like you just keep watching active killing over and over again. It's because life is oblivion. And yeah, you don't know me. I can't, uh, I can't go to sleep without it. Yeah. Uh, like I've watched, I've watched Anwar be Anwar. Like, so Mark Byers, but do you think it's not, a difference of their character or that, that's a difference of the hand of the directors? It's a, I mean, there's some, that's not, there's not one answer to that because there's so many factors that go into that answer. I don't mean to cut, cut you off, Paul, but like, the, I mean, because you're talking about technically, Paradise Lost was shot on film. You know what I mean? Shoot a documentary on film. See what happens. Like, there, there's, it's a different, you break the reality every time you have to mag load. You break reality every time you have to, like, do, you have to set up markers again. Shooting Verite on film, extraordinarily difficult. That's why movies like The War Room, which is another Verite uh, shot on film by D.A. Pennebaker and Chris Hegedus. That's why Brothers Keeper, Brusinovsky and Joe Berlinger's previous film to this, uh, Verite Courtroom shot on film. Once they it's weird because get- I, 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 I'm assuming you're right. You've got to be right. But I, all the things that I can think of from Paradise Lost One are all VHS footage. Well, yeah, a lot of the acquired footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot the courtroom stuff is all video. Is all, but like, but the parts that I remember. Go now, on, that's yeah. by the time you get to Paradise Lost too, they're on video. They're, yeah. on, they're on high-end DV at that point. Yeah, yeah. So by that point, though, they're just rolling and rolling and rolling, and they can do all these interviews. And now there's better transcription services than there were. So, that, so because there's all these reality yeah. TV companies. Okay, I see where you're going with now. this. I see where you're going with this. That's what I'm saying about yeah, like yeah. that. That's another way that the, this is just a giant Ouroboros because it's like the the advances in film technology from ninety. Two, three to 2011 yeah 
or 2013, if we include West okay, Memphis. There wasn't, in this. Okay, I see where you're going with this. And there mean? wasn't that much of a change in the technology, Eddie. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sorry, he almost so, didn't see the sarcasm, and he was about to start screaming. I, was, yeah, like, your face I, was I, like, uh The beer bottle in my hand almost. <laughs> what you broke. just said was not yeah. right. But no, but it's 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 transformative. It, it, there's no way it can't affect both right. how they shoot their film and how they edit their film. I, I had a similar moment. They of edited like, it on a Steenbeck, the first one. Are you shitting me? Yeah. I mean, they did the DI and all this other shit, but like, I mean, it's they, a two and a half hour movie. They don't do a DI if you're cutting on a steam back. No, you I mean, color I, time I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I'm talking about after they like afterwards, they dump it on video and shit like that. But like, that's, but my point is, is that there's, there's, those were limitations. Those were limitations that Amy Berg, by the way, Amy Berg was, a oh, one of the, and, and to the film prints plus one magenta, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> Amy Berg, by the way, was a producer on Budo, which uh, yeah, friend yeah. of the show Jessica Hernandez on a previous episode. She was the it's a good episode. Go listen to that episode. That was a good one too. I gotta uh, watch all those. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, Amy Berg had the benefit of all of these things of starting her her take on this in more of a singular moment with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight of these other films. In in many ways, in my opinion, West Memphis Three as a single film, and if you count the the Paradise Lost Trilogy as a single film. For my money, West Memphis Three is probably I don't want to say better and, and rank this, but like I respond I respond more to her film. But it I has it's, it's, PL3. it's it's built on the shoulders of what I think Paradise Lost did, not just yeah. filmmaking wise, but technically information wise, like it's you know, if she's seen further, it's because she stood on their shoulders. I, f- I find West of Memphis all I find none of these movies to be bad and West no. of Memphis to be fine, but Paradise I, Lost Two I think is the weakest of the. Yeah, four. it's just weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, West of Memphis I actually find to be a little bit on the antiseptic side. Uh, I didn't mind it. I mean, I saw it in theaters and I left, and I was like, "Good high five movie that was good." But I didn't have the the sort of um, I don't know emotional roller coaster ride sure. because West of Memphis has the you know fun job of trying to do this entire story again just in two and a half hours, which right. that's tricky, but. So did just by the way they kept making these fucking Paradise Lost movies. So did all the Paradise Lost movies. Like they did the first one, and then the second one was like, "All right, we're gonna show you the first one again real quick." Um, half an hour, right. and then here's the rest of it. And then the same with PL3. And I feel like by the time they got to PL3, and this was something Chloe was saying earlier, they got really good at telling the story in a way where they understand the swings and the pivots. And th- maybe they're they basically are operating under a different limitation at that point because they get to use the decisions they've already made about the the pivots of the story that they are telling as opposed to like, well, we didn't even talk about turtles, you know, West of Memphis is talking about turtles. Yeah. The turtles are actually kind of a big important thing that they actually, they just, as opposed to getting like better at telling the story fast, they just got better at summarizing their own told story as opposed to the story itself. Right. Uh, But I enjoyed PL3, I think more than probably more than all of them. I think it was my favorite of them, but it's also like, it's not a fun movie. None of these are fun movies to watch. I mean, they're all, horrifying and you're spending time with weird characters that make you cringe a lot (laughs) if not just abject horrified it's like watching here comes honey boo boo if there were murderers (laughs) and who's to say they're not yeah I don't mind West (laughs) Memphis I don't want to sound like I'm like dissing it but no I I I, I didn't get the hit like the I feel involved I'm curious I don't know I cried at the at the end of West of Memphis and I had no sort of emotional reaction like that at the end of what, any of what, the what was the thing that Parad- ke- Paradise is lost what was the uh, Paradise like, camel what was the Paradise camel that, is lost the camel that broke the straws back for your teary moment was it I, like I when know. Damien it's, got out and it was, like it's all too that? much of shopping like, in New York it was that did much, it for me it was too much of ha- yeah it was all that it was too much of having <laughs> I think it had to do with having the story in my periphery like 
all of my childhood, but not really engaging with it like as actual as an actual thing happening to actual people. Right. Eddie, I think you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about because, yeah, there is that. I, I think the like I said, I think West Memphis benefits from keeping the two leads, uh, Damien and his wife separate. And then that way, when you get to see them embrace, see them, it's a similar reaction I had to the end of Capturing the Freedmen's when uh, the middle Freedman boy is released and he finally hugs his mom after all this shit. It was that was yeah, after no, after the after the shit you got dredged through with that movie. Um, there's a release and there's just there is a, a literal re- release. There is a literal re- yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like Paradise Lost Three covers them being released from jail, but it didn't have that last moment of like. Okay, now life. Now what? Right. Yeah, you know, like here's us in our apartment far away yeah. from the South in Just New York, the freedom is, of buying shit from a shitty street vendor. Yeah. Just like, like sitting there and have was, like... I think it was when he said, I've been out for an hour and it feels like that was so long, long ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or uh, when Jesse... Uh, not Jesse, but when um, uh, the other gentleman jason jason when jason is is eating food you yeah know, no he just, is, this, actually, is this cheese jason, yeah he didn't have cheese no jason was it's not like jason's this story actually i felt like his reactions and his story felt more yeah. that moved me more than damien's i don't know i admire I, how pissed off and convicted he was yeah because i think on a whole paradise lost trilogy delved into the clinical a bit too much that's fair i think yeah no it had the benefit of hindsight like ebert said like mm-hmm. uh, Paul was telling us earlier, mm-hmm. West of Memphis got to have a beginning, middle, and end. Right. Because it knew what the story was. Uh, Paradise Lost started in the middle of the beginning. As opposed to the other two. I'm going to pitch something and just let me, and I just want to gauge your reaction. Uh, my thesis statement is Paradise Lost would have worked better as two movies, not three. One in 96, the other in 2011. Um, yes, no. Yes. I don't know because the I reject the premise. The story that they would have told in 96. You will accept my premise. The story they would have told in 96 Mm -hmm. would have been everything that the first one was. Mm -hmm. I think you're I think what you're saying is that we don't need the second one. Uh, Not at all. I think your point is not that uh, we we could have told the entire story in two movies so much as we just literally didn't need that second movie at all. I, I don't think you did. I mean, because I, and I did rewatch it, and that's I don't like, I don't think we did either. Really. I was racing to be done with the second one so I can get to the third one. I found, and mm. I don't know what we gained from the second one that wasn't covered by either Paradise Lost Three or West. Of I think you get the involvement of the audience in the understanding of how the community felt. The filmmakers can't extricate themselves from this process, which is a part of the problem, but also part of kind of the narrative. Yeah. Which is like the knife that Byers gave the filmmakers. Had blood on it. Oh, yeah. Actually, honestly, what in the the actual In retrospect, I can see that we didn't need that second movie, but in retrospect, I totally understand where they're like, oh, no, fuck, we have to make a movie now. Like. I'm not saying the they were st- they were stupid for making a second movie. I'm no, not no, saying no, that no. at all. No, but that I'm, is my point was more that is the weirdest thing. Yeah, no. I mean, look, Mark Byers did himself no favors with his behavior, his erraticism, his taking enough quaaludes to kill a horse right before his lie detector test. He did himself no favors. But it's by the same token. And yeah, I mean, I would have followed that thread. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. And I because I. Yeah. But again, having having the benefit of all this shit, it's like. It's I like, really don't think it was the filmmaker's idea to go like stomp around at the site of the bot, the place where the bodies were recovered, and like, 
make make, make bonfires and then like stomp no but i don't think they turned it down you know i I think that's like i think it's like hey this kind of mentally imbalanced guy who maybe killed his kids wants to burn shit in the woods yeah we'll make sure we make sure we have an alphabet (laughs) but i couldn't like make sure we have three thousand feet the entire time watching the second movie i couldn't be like i this is just the filmmakers finding their style it's like fuck you you're dealing with people's lives here like have some I don't think it's be, them be finding the style, res- but not finding the style. But if you say it, it's like a we're just exploring. Well, do you think the, the filmmakers where the stories taken? Do you us, think the man. filmmakers at the time they were making part two? Do you think they secretly thought Byers for real did it though, or do you think they're just framing him because they're bored? I don't no, know. I think they think it thought. I think they think he did it. I think I think they were like I said. I feel like because here's the thing, uh, and I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't criticize him for it. We absolutely should, and we are, but. They're human beings who have an emotional attachment to this. There's no fucking way they can't. Right. Again, documentary filmmaking is not journalism. Like you have a point of view, you have an attachment, be upfront with it. Yeah. Now, the 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 real did they did they in my mind cross a line in terms of like the amount of torpedoes they were firing at them? Yeah. There was one of those moments was a really hella filmmaking moment, by the way. And I, I called it up to Chloe and she's like, holy shit. Which one? The During the lie detector or no? No, no, no. no. Although that's fucking hilarious too. But like, no, the thing where... Um, it was in two. This was actually yeah, their amazing yeah, filmmaking yeah, yeah. moment. There was, a, there was a scene where like... Among a million other creepy things that are going on in this conversation between Mark Byers and a couple other guys, it's revealed that Mark Byers has these fake teeth. And he like takes them out and he's showing them to them and, and he like that waves big, it. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, that's gross. He's like, yeah, he puts it back in. And they, they continue and he, the conversation. It's a throwaway moment. It's like, a, oh, weird. No, but, but he keeps going. And then going. like five, ten minutes later, just like in a conversation with the weird criminal minds guy, he's like, the behavior of this sort of a pathology would be this and that. And they'd have bite marks and people who this, the, the other, and they, they would just uh, do whatever they could to get rid of their teeth and this, that, and the other. Just keeps talking, like goes through the <laughs> sentence and just blasts to the next thing he's going to say. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And just, I was keenly aware of the filmmaking moment that that was, that editing choice. Oh, yeah. Where I was like, that was a, and that is, again, one of those torpedoes where it's like, they are using their editorial bully puppet to be able to get away with, you know, throwing an elbow like that. Did you say bully puppet instead of bully pulpit? Yes, I did. Yeah, because you have Paradise Lost One being entered into evidence with all of its editorial decisions and with all of its tricks and with all like movie making is tricks. It's all magic tricks. You address all the, you editorial address, discretion. You address the filmmakers so then, as a second hung jury. Yeah. So it's like you're, it's like adding a painting of a crime scene into evidence. I see what you're like, saying. What yeah. the fuck? I see what you're saying. Do you think you're doing? <laughs> well, to be, uh, to be fair. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's, that's a really, that's again, that's, I, it's a really dangerous thing to like label documentaries as as journalism, and I, I think it's instructive for everybody to remember their films first and foremost. And you know they don't they aren't held to the same. This is something I've been preaching since episode one of of this is that it's it it should not and cannot be held to the same standard as journalism. Um, with that being said, it's there's there's also this blurry line of people crossing over from journalism to documentary filmmaking. Amy Berg came from journalism. I think uh, Bruce Sanofsky crossed over from journalism. So it's it's really, really 
it's a really gray area. And I think it raises interesting questions about when things like this get admitted is like, yeah, this is a film we made, but it's a film we edited. It. And even and regardless of our intention, there's by, a the narrative. Mere, by the mere process of, of elimination of anything, we're changing that narrative and in some ways subtle and in some ways drastic. But I, I think it's very, and that again, that's another way in which West of Memphis benefits is because it was outside of that conversation. This movie is getting made in stealth. Like the whole production of West of Memphis was that just like Peter Jackson's involvement in the in the case was sort of stealthy. This film was sort of stealthy. It literally was just like, oh yeah, there's a West Memphis doc coming out. Oh yeah, Par- Paradise Lost Four. It's like no, it's a it's a different one. Wait, huh? Who's it produced by? Oh, Peter Jack. What? Like why? He's Some been guy. oh he's been no. fin- he's been financing their their defense. What? Like it's it was that kind of like this this is a thing. Like what is why have we not heard of this? We feel like we should have been hearing about this and. I think that's another way in which West Memphis benefits is that it didn't have the scrutiny upon it that the, I mean, everybody knew it's like, Oh, it's six years. A paradise Lost movie's coming out. You know, it's everyone knew that it was, it was going to be happening again. Whereas with this one, we just kind of had the benefit of kind of gut punching us and kind of coming out of nowhere. So last little thing I want to do here before we get out of this, but uh, someone comes to you and says, I want to learn about this West Memphis three thing. Which one should I watch? Uh, I'd say watch Paradise Lost one. Okay. I mean, I could see the argument for why West Memphis, West of Memphis, is the right answer, but I, I, I think I would have liked to have seen Paradise Lost first. Okay, Chloe. I'm gonna say Paradise Lost three. Okay. Um, just because it gives you the streamlined version of what the filmmakers thought was important to begin with mm-hmm. and then how it ended, which is what you need to feel like a human again. Right. Um, I think West of Memphis gives you more of an epilogue, more of a kind of sense of closure, and it feels much... West of Memphis, if you're going to watch all four, watch that last, because that's like <laughs> some balm, some salve of like yeah. these people are home and with people who care and are going to try to help them heal. The interesting thing with the Alfred uh, plea, plea... Which is the thing that ultimately gets them released from jail. Which gets them released was it's as abrupt to us in the movie as it was to them it's like all of a sudden before the hearing yeah today there's a hearing what there's that, a hearing now. four months no it's today no no today you you can get out today if you say i'm sorry i didn't do it and i will never do it again which is what the Alpert plea is which the, I, the state's I'm, implications of that i think were way more important than i well no it West was basically so, paradise lost three i agree yeah for no, it because it means that there cannot be any further investigation yeah no it's there can be no further investigation and they cannot sue for it, nobody can be charged with this crime again yeah and it, also they cannot come at them for wrongful imprisonment it's the state's equivalent of jamming its fingers in its ears and going la 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 yeah, that's, that's and it. and because that's that's the only and i'm not to diminish your guys's legitimate technical analysis but it's just it's one of those things that was invented for no win situations like this where yeah. it's like clearly the wrong person is in jail clearly we can't reverse the plea it, what the it's cya where the a stands for arkansas <laughs> <laughs> for once it's not florida hey florida what's hey, up florida. Yeah. not you good job florida standing proud going hey we didn't convict three teenagers for no well based on no evidence how about that paul what was your answer that? to the which one would yes. you start someone on what just just watch which of that just, just, Memphis? just watch West of Memphis. Just watch West of Memphis. If you're going to watch one of them, if you if you get interested, watch the rest of them, but then also get prepared to watch 
um, documentarians learn how to do a thing. Oh, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call, I'm going to call shenanigans on that. They knew how to do a thing going into paradise lost one. They were documentary filmmakers. I know, but I'm, that doesn't uh, mean they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They knew what the fuck they were doing. They just happened to get better at it over the course of 20 years. That was unfair. And yes. And what I'm talking about is kind of like watch doc, like you watch documentarians work with a thing over a course of time. If right. you want to watch it as an interesting artifact of how to do a, in the moment sort of thing over the course of three movies, then sure do that for 10 hours. But God, just watch West of Memphis. You'll be so much <laughs> happier, happier. Yeah. Uh, don't I'm, be like, don't be like me. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't be like us. <laughs> Remember me as I was. Eddie, I think you'd say the same thing, right? Uh, I would say go watch uh, Turbo, uh, the snail racing movie. <laughs> but I feel like you miss out on a lot of the details of the case. Did like it? Uh, he hasn't watched Turbo actually. He's watched. Uh, he's a huge. Oh, did he, he start with West of Memphis? No, he's he's, <laughs> he's a huge Frozen uh, fan. Oh, uh, so oh. he likes Frozen. That's almost as bad as Paradise Lost. No, uh, he's a big Frozen fan, and he likes um, Monsters Inc. is like his favorite movie. Yay! Yay! So that's like his favorite. So he's always asking for Mike Wazowski, and and I'll and there, there's been a couple times where I snuck Monsters University in there, and he's like, Mike Wazowski. Like he, he like <laughs> he, hilarious. it's uncanny Valley for him. It's like, he knows it's Mike Wazowski, but like the magic ain't there for him. Hmm. And so he, he craves monsters Inc. Um, your boy hates global elimination. <laughs> he's, he's got good taste. He, I read him, uh, I read him and this isn't the Grayson Doty story hour, but I read <laughs> him, uh, giving tree actually. Yay! And he, it was, he had a really fascinating reaction. Cause like normally, we do trees don't do that. Well, no, normally we do uh, during story time. We do like call and response stuff and I do voices and all the stuff giving tree. I just read very cleanly and very plainly. And he was, he was just very still. And he had like this real, like he knew he didn't quite know what the story was about, but he knew he could kind of, he should kind of be sad. So he was. And so it was very fascinating, but uh, that's Child's a sociopath. That's yeah. That's he, yeah. He's not, I got to wait 18 years and wait for him to be falsely accused. No, he's sweet. It's um, fine. Everyone's okay. a sociopath until they're 25. Exactly. It's it, it's covered under Obamacare. Um, <laughs> so the, the before we get going on, on the episode, since this is uh, Halloween and spooky time, and everybody's probably putting together their movie playlists of, ooh, scary movies, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like Halloween and, um, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Frozen and whatever, uh, I would actually want to recommend, a, and this is open discussion too, any like legit spooky or creepy documentaries, not abject, depressing. We're not going to say active killing. We're not going to say Dear Zachary, where they're just tear fests. I'm talking God, about like man. spooky stuff. The big one I wanted to cover today. and we, that, that episode that didn't happen where that leaf did that thing. Wait, wait, which one? Where that, where that leaf moved. Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. That's, you have to reference, that's a reference to our notes, uh, episode, notes and revisions episode of intermission. Uh, intermission. Yeah. Go check that one out. No, um, Cropsy. Uh, it was on Netflix streaming for a long time. It's not now. So if you can get a hold of it, I recommend it. There's a legend in the Northeast of Cropsy about a, basically a boogeyman character who comes and steals kids, but he was like a real dude and is off of like a legit abandoned, uh, mental institution. Holy shit! Like it's and they're make, they're adapting that documentary into a feature film right now. Holy shit! Is it a creepy thing? And like it's one of those rare times where you're watching a documentary and you're like, God! Like this is just it's so creepy and it's so scary. And how like is it spelled? C R O C R O P S E Y Cropsy. Okay. And then the only other one, uh, I think name on everybody <laughs> is Cropsy. Cropsy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend also if you want to be like more unnerved than anything else because you realize like okay this is like 95 percent 
chance this dude is just mentally imbalanced. 5% chance he's 100% telling the truth. Uh, My Amityville Horror. And it's about, it's a documentary about the kid from the actual Amityville Horror House. And he's all grown up now and he ain't doing okay. And it's interesting. Uh, if, and I'm not talking about the kid who acted in the movie, the, the Amityville Horror. I'm talking about the Amityville Horror was an actual thing where these people believe their house was basically trying to eat them and it inspired 90 different movies. Anyway, the, the accusation was there was you know probably alcoholism and abuse and all this other stuff going on, not necessarily creepy haunts or spooky ghosts. Either way, the kid who was from that house, he's he's had a hard life and they made a documentary about him and it's pretty unnerving if you and that one i think is still is on he like a grown-up johnny Quest? there was um he's in his early 40s he's really good on guitar but he's just he's never been able to like find peace and he's never been able to he 100 percent believes it was hauntings he acknowledges some not fun stuff in his household life but he to his core believes that he experienced paranormal stuff and and you feel really awful for the guy you know you just feel really and it's a really interesting it's really it poses really interesting questions about well you know if it's not real does it make it less real for him and should we treat it as if it's real and how do you therefore treat somebody do you convince them it's not real but that pain is real how do you go about making this right how do you go about making this whole i'd recommend that heartily i also want to kind of give since this is the first time i've had paul on the show in a little bit i want to give him props there have been since paul was on the show last there have been like three separate lists of greatest documentaries of all time or of the 20th century or of ever or of ever will be and i gotta give props to paul because in the top five and every single one of them is sans soleil a documentary that paul has been um just just singing the praises for and i have seen it so my first episode i was just like, just going off out, on it he cut out his leading question so it just cuts to me saying the sans sans is the best <laughs> and not creepy at all but it is just sort of worth mentioning um <sighs> just go watch sans every day for the rest of your life yeah instead of watching Paradise you'll be a better person what's it about <laughs> it, something without uh, the sun i think we'll do we'll do an episode on it one of these days one of these days it'll just be, watch it I, I would watch it like right now yeah no it's 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 pretty magical um but yeah that's i mean i think that's i think in terms of just like scary creepy the paradise lot or the paradise lost in the west memphis movies are pretty just unnerving and creepy and and just not they're not entertaining per se but they man are they just like you you definitely you definitely come out of them more creeped out than sad. I would say. I don't know. Was it was alarmed by humanity? Yeah, yeah. It's, alarmed it's by worse humanity. if you live in this country because it makes you can make you made that. I don't know. There's makes you deal with some stuff about like how this place is and how we are. Yeah. All right. Sense. Any last thoughts on that we haven't covered about Paradise Lost or um, West Memphis? Anything anybody wants to get off their chest? I'm surprised how similar they are. We're talking about them like they're massively different movies, and I could name the differences too. But on the face of it, they're actually constructed very similarly. The, no, they're, no what, they're not. Well, what the, I, 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 I can see the differences, but West of Memphis could have been a massively different movie. In fact, I think West of Memphis is closer to being whatever the template standard version of that storyline would be. And Paradise Lost kind of took weird editorial gaps here and there more. How many Ken Burns documentaries have you watched? Zero. Ah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's, uh, that's Paradise, Paradise Lost is the civil war of this thing happening. And I feel like then the point West I was about of Memphis to make, is the Lincoln. I can see that there are differences between them. What I'm saying is what the story, the story that it's telling is the exact same story. It's telling you in slightly yeah. different ways. It's mm. let me finish my sentence. Both of them are the story of what happened to this town and everyone in it, as opposed to being like about him or something. Now, one of the Paradise Lost movies is about how that guy fucking killed the kids. 
but that's neither here nor there. They're both constructed in a way where it's not like Damien's story or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's not uh, the story of the guys trying to fucking crack the case against this town of people. Like, it, it's not focusing on anyone. They're both stories of kind of all of it, sort of just wherever the story kind of went for two years, that's the part of the story they tell without actually being like serving some particular storytelling master. It's just the general, here's the This American Life episode of what happened in West Memphis twice, as opposed to one of them being a different story entirely about the exact same events. Stylistically different, but they're, I'm struck by how similar they are when they could have been massively different stories. There's entire documentaries they could have made with all the fucking shit they had in terms of access and in terms of interviews that they didn't make. They kind of made the overarching story because what else are you going to do? You're going to make a summary, but yeah. that they're both the summary version of that documentary as opposed to like the, you know, the think piece meditation on something specific or someone specific and what their experience was. It, they kind of went for all the colors on the palette. Both of them did. You can see their effort to make this objective and they fail hardest in the second one, obviously, but they don't fail that bad. Well, they do like the same they, thing in the third one that they did in the second one, just yeah. a different guy. Yeah, but the, but they actually have a leg to stand on at this point, or at least yeah, more like, yeah. like the I mean, hair that's tied into the knot. There's, I mean, there's that. There, I mean, the the Natalie Maines thing is pretty interesting to the deposition that occurs, and that's that kind of brings up another thing we didn't really go into. We won't go into it too heavy now, but it's just interesting how this case, because of the first documentary, attracted all these celebrities who threw their their cause celebrating yeah, yeah, yeah. to, yeah, to it. <laughs> like Eddie Vedder, Natalie Maines, uh, obviously Metallica, obviously Henry Rollins, I mean, and a bunch of others. But because of a statement Natalie Maines made, which pissed off um, uh, Terry Hobbs, uh, he files suit because of that. They're able to depose them. It factors into both movies. But in doing so, he reveals all these inconsistencies in his own story and all these things that just simply don't add up. West Memphis 3 had those last few details, though. The turtle, the people who reported seeing Terry Hobbs. To me, that just, it kind of made the story more complete, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, no, it, it, you know. They never addressed any alibis in the first one, which I felt like was lacking. Right. Um, I don't know. I Because the actual, like, the actual criminal justice process is even more boring than, yeah, than the, like, the most boring procedural thing. Dun, dun. It sucks. And it sucks and it's the longest protracted. I'm in the middle of a documentary, which apparently now is about about an ongoing court case. But so I mean, yes, it's a maddeningly frustrating process and it, it sucks. And I you know, both I gotta give credit to Chloe and Paul both for coming to the exact same point uh independently oh, of one now. another, which is Oh, go for it. Who wants to take it? No. Chloe start. So I watched all of these movies feeling like if these guys were black we wouldn't have had this you're talking about being uncomfortable with it i was very uncomfortable with how much rage white rage so like we're gonna call our lawyers about this with our trust funds um got it's uh, it's not fair to say trust funds just the fact that you have the privilege to have the free time to be mad about something that's not happening to you oh you're not talking about damien and those guys you're talking about the people that came to help it's that the reason why you know West of Memphis is a thing is a consequence of whiteness in America. Yeah. It just bothered me that this is part of probably the black experience in America. And we know about this through 10 hours of documentary footage about these three white kids. And Damien says it. He says, this is not 
abnormal. This happens every day. Mm -hmm. He's not, I'm not saying that it's wrong that an army was raised for him. There should be an army raised for every time this happens. The problem is, is that this was the only army raised. Yeah, the problem, the, the problem is this, this army is not the problem. The problem is that there are not more armies raised and that we are not more incensed by the constant barrage of this insane legal system where we I'm not going to go into it. It's insane. No, there's a lot and no but it needs but it needs to be at least acknowledged, which yeah. I'm I'm glad you guys did. And I'm I'm kind of frankly I'm kind of I'm kind of embarrassed myself that I didn't notice that. Maybe just because when I was first exposed to this I was 18 and not aware of That's such fair. things. Well, there's you know? also the fact that serial killers and child molestation cases and other things are very white crimes. Overwhelmingly white. Like Overwhelmingly like, white. Like defy statistics so it's, white. You can't just scream racism and be done with it. No, it's, it's legacy, though. It's, I mean, it's, it's so yeah. much about it. And it's, I mean, and I'm glad, you know, honestly, that's the documentary I'm looking forward to. And honestly, this is the saddest part about it. It's like, if you wanted to make a documentary about it tomorrow, it's like, well, which case? You know, like, which, I mean, oh, which, yeah. which case no, is which, there? Yeah. And it's just, but if it's. If you want to do, like, the Innocence Project probably has, yeah. like, you could oh, just walk in. Oh, there we go. There's in. a documentary about the Innocence Project. Yeah, no, yeah. you could just walk in there and be like, I have 20 minutes. Can you give me an hour's worth of footage? I'll just set up cameras and you guys can talk so to wrap this up i think we should recommend uh jiro dreams of sushi for your recovery yeah. uh you should recommend so nice. uh indie game the movie watch the brony one fuck it why not with that being said this has been another episode of documentality you can always find more episodes at friendsinyourhead.com go to our forum involve yourself in the conversation you can download a new episode of documentality or any of our sister uh podcasts once a week we have PayPal. We're not asking, just saying. You can subscribe via iTunes. We are on Facebook, Friends in Your Head. Twitter, at Friends in Your Head. Uh, Holden Hill Design, maintain the website. Until next time, I'm Eddie Doty. T. Christie. Chloe Z. Paul Santagada. This has been Documentality. Good night, good night. Santagada. 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 From Planet Santagada, he came. That's the right way to pronounce it. I just don't say it that way. Friendsinyourhead.com.